Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Bro, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. July 10. On this date in history, in the year 2018, the last of a Thai soccer team is rescued from a cave. In a search and rescue scramble that gripped the world's attention for more than two weeks, the last of 12 Thai young soccer players and their coach are safely rescued and transported to a local hospital on July 10, 2018. On June 23, 2018, Ekapol Shantawang, 25, and his players, who ranged in age from 11 to 16, set out to explore the Tham Luang Cave Network in what was intended to be a fun, hour-long, after-practice adventure when they were trapped underground as monsoon rains flooded the cave's entrance. A search for the wild boars, teammates, and their coach took nine days when two elite British divers located the group on July 2, 2018, approximately 2.5 miles from the cave's entrance. They were alive, but malnourished, exhausted, and running out of oxygen, and the dangerous, tight, and twisting passageways with strong currents made getting the team out a logistical nightmare. After efforts to drain the cave, considerations of waiting it out for monsoon season to end in four months and teaching the team to swim and scuba dive, one thing became certain. They would have to go underwater in scuba gear to escape. On July 8, the first four boys were led out of the cave by an international team of cave diving experts, including Thai Navy SEALs attached to the divers with ropes and harnesses. On July 9, four more boys are rescued, and on July 10, the remaining four boys and coach are rescued after spending 17 days in the cave. The boys were sedated with the drug ketamine during the daring rescue and wore wetsuits and full face masks to provide oxygen. All were released from the hospital one week later. The event resulted in one fatality, a volunteer diver and former Thai Navy SEAL, Saman Kunan, 38, died on July 6 when he ran out of oxygen underwater while attempting to deliver oxygen tanks to the boys. July 11. On this date in history in the year 1960, To Kill a Mockingbird is published. On July 11, 1960, the 34-year-old novelist Nell Harper Lee publishes her first novel, To Kill a Mockingbird. Set in Maycomb, a small Alabama town, much like Lee's native Monroeville, To Kill a Mockingbird is populated with indelible characters, including the book's tomboy narrator, Jean Louise Finch, known as Scout, the mysterious recluse Boo Radley, and Scout's father, Atticus Finch, an upstanding lawyer who defends a black man accused of raping a white woman. Now a staple of junior high and high school classrooms and the subject of numerous censorship efforts, it offers a vivid description of life in the Jim Crow South 
during the Great Depression. By the mid-1950s, Lee had followed her dreams of a writing career in New York City, where her childhood friend, Truman Capote, had already won fame in literary circles. For Christmas in 1956, her good friends Michael and Joy Brown gave her a check equal to a year's salary so she could quit her job and devote more time to her writing. Soon, Lee had produced a novel manuscript titled Go Set a Watchman, which she was able to sell to the publisher J.B. Lippincott and Company for $1,000 after her editor, Tay Hohoff, suggested she revive the story and expand on flashback sequences set during the narrator's childhood. Lee spent two years rewriting her book, calling the revised manuscript To Kill a Mockingbird. She dropped the first name for publication in order to avoid people mispronouncing it Nellie. Lee's book became an immediate success, winning the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1961 and eventually selling more than 40 million copies worldwide. Gregory Peck won an Oscar for his portrayal of Atticus in the 1962 film version, which also nabbed statuettes for screenwriting and art direction. But the famously private Lee didn't come out with a follow-up. In fact, she wouldn't publish another book for 55 years. Then, in 2015, HarperCollins published and rediscovered Go Set a Watchman. The book is set 20 years after the time period depicted in Mockingbird and features an aging Atticus who has embraced racist views and even attends a meeting of the Ku Klux Klan. Despite seriously mixed reviews and doubts surrounding whether Lee actually wanted it published, the book was a huge hit, selling 1.1 million copies in its first week. The following year, Harper Lee died in Monroeville at the age of 89. July 12. On this date in history, in the year 1979, disco is dealt a death blow by fans of the Chicago White Sox. As the 1970s came to an end, the age of disco was also nearing its finale. But for all of its decadence and overexposure, disco didn't quite die a natural death by collapsing under its own weight. Instead, it was killed by a public backlash that reached its peak on July 12, 1979, with the infamous Disco Demolition Night at Chicago's Kaminsky Park. That incident, which led to at least nine injuries, 39 arrests, and the cancellation and forfeit of a major league baseball game, is widely credited or, depending on your perspective, blamed with dealing disco its final death blow. The event was the brainchild of Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer, popular disc jockeys on Chicago's WLUP, The Loop FM. Dahl had only recently moved to WLUP from rival station WDAI when that station switched to an all-disco format, a relatively common reformatting trend in American radio in 1979. But, however, many other rock DJs were displaced by disco, only Dahl was inspired to launch a semi-comic vendetta aimed at the eradication and elimination of the dreaded musical disease. On May 2nd, the rainout of a game between the Chicago White Sox and the Detroit Tigers led to the scheduling of a doubleheader on July 12. Dahl and Meyer approached the White Sox with a rather unorthodox idea for an attendance-boosting promotion, declare July 12 Disco Demolition Night, and allow Dahl to blow up a dumpster full of disco records between games of the doubleheader. 
White Sox executive Mike Veek embraced the idea in the same spirit with which his father, legendary team owner Bill Veek, had once sent a little person to the plate in a major league ball game in order to amuse fans and draw a walk. The first mistake organizers made on Disco Demolition Night was grossly underestimating the appeal of the 98-cent discount tickets offered to anyone who brought a disco record to the park to add to the explosive rigged dumpster. WLUP and the White Sox expected perhaps 5,000 more fans than the average draw of 15,000 or so at Kaminsky Park. What they got instead was a raucous sellout crowd of 40,000 plus and an even more raucous overflow crowd of as many as 40,000 more outside on Shields Avenue. The second mistake was failing to actually collect those disco records, which would become dangerous projectiles in the hands of a crowd that was already out of control by the time Dahl detonated his dumpster in center field during warm-ups of the evening's second game. What followed was utter chaos as fans by the thousands stormed the field and began to wreak havoc shimmying up the foul poles, tearing up the grass, and lighting vinyl bonfires on the diamond while the stadium scoreboard implored them to return to their seats. Conditions were judged too dangerous for the scheduled game to begin, and the Detroit Tigers were awarded a win by forfeit. July 13. On this date in history, in the year 1978, on July 13, 1978, Ford Motor Company Chairman Henry Ford II fires Lee Iacocca as Ford's president, ending years of tension between the two men. Born to an immigrant family in Pennsylvania in 1924, Iacocca was hired by Ford as an engineer in 1946, but soon switched to sales, at which he clearly excelled. In 1960, Iacocca had become a vice president and general manager of the Ford division, the company's largest marketing arm. He successfully championed the design and development of the sporty, affordable Ford Mustang, an achievement that landed him on the covers of Time and Newsweek magazines in the same week in 1964. In December 1970, Henry Ford II named Iacocca president of Ford, but his brash, unorthodox style soon brought him into conflict with his boss. According to Douglas Brinkley's story of Ford's Wheels for the World, Henry authorized $1.5 million in company funds for an investigation of Iacocca's business and private life in 1975. Suffering from a heart condition and aware that the time for his retirement was approaching, Ford made it clear that he eventually wanted to turn the company over to his son Edsel, then just 28. In early 1978, Iacocca was told he would report to another Ford executive, Philip Caldwell, who was named Deputy Chief Executive Officer. In his increasingly public struggle with Ford, Iacocca made an attempt to find support among the company's board of directors, giving Ford the excuse he needed to fire him. As Iacocca later wrote in his best-selling autobiography, Ford called Iacocca into his office shortly before 3 p.m. on July 3, 1978, and let him go, telling him, sometimes you just don't like somebody. News of the firing shocked the industry, but it turned into a boon for Iacocca. The following year, he was hired as president of the Chrysler Corporation, which at the time was facing bankruptcy. Iacocca went to the federal government for aid, 
banking on his belief that the government would not let Chrysler fail or fear of weakening an already slumping economy. The gamble paid off, with Congress agreeing to bail out Chrysler to the tune of $1.5 billion. Iacocca streamlined the company's operation, focused on producing more fuel-efficient cars, and pursued an aggressive marketing strategy based on his own powerful personality. After showing a small profit in 1981, Chrysler posted record profits of more than $2.4 billion in 1984. By then, a national celebrity, Iacocca retired as chief executive of Chrysler in 1992. He died on July 2, 2019. July 14. On this date in history, in the year 1099, Jerusalem is captured in a first crusade. During the First Crusade, Christian knights from Europe capture Jerusalem after seven weeks of siege and begin massacring the city's Muslim and Jewish population. Beginning in the 11th century, Christians in Jerusalem were increasingly persecuted by the city's Islamic rulers, especially when control of the Holy City passed from the relatively tolerant Egyptians to the Seljuk Turks in 1071. Late in the century, Byzantine Emperor Alexis Comnenus also threatened by the Seljuk Turks, appealed to the West for aid. In 1095, Pope Urban II publicly called for a crusade to aid Eastern Christians and recover the Holy Lands. The response by Western Europeans was immediate. The first crusaders were actually undisciplined hordes of French and German peasants who met with little success. One group, known as the People's Crusade, reached as far as Constantinople, before being annihilated by the Turks. In 1096, the main crusading force, featuring some 4,000 mounted knights and 25,000 infantry, began to move east. Led by Raymond of Toulouse, Godfrey of Bouillon, Robert of Flanders, and Bohemond of Otranto, the army of Christian knights crossed into Asia Minor in 1097. In June, the Crusaders captured the Turkish-held city of Nicaea and then defeated a massive army of Seljuk Turks at Dorylaeum. From there, they marched on to Antioch, located on the Orontes River below Mount Silpius, and began a difficult six-month siege during which they repulsed several attacks by Turkish relief armies. Finally, early in the morning on June 3, 1098, Bohemond persuaded a Turkish traitor to open Antioch's bridge gate, and the knights poured into the city. In an orgy of killing, the Christians massacred thousands of enemy soldiers and citizens, and all but the city's fortified citadel was taken. Later in the month, a large Turkish army arrived to attempt to regain the city, but they too were defeated, and the Antioch citadel surrendered to the Europeans. After resting and reorganizing for six months, the Crusaders set off for their ultimate goal, Jerusalem. Their numbers were now reduced to some 1,200 cavalry and 12,000 foot soldiers. On June 7, 1099, the Christian army reached the holy city and, finding it heavily fortified, began building three enormous siege towers. By the night of July 13, the towers were complete, and the Christians began fighting their way across Jerusalem's walls. On July 14, Godfrey's men were the first to penetrate the defenses, and the gate of St. Stephen was opened. The rest of the knights and soldiers then poured in, 
The city was captured, and tens of thousands of its occupants were slaughtered. Crusaders had achieved their aims, and Jerusalem was in Christian hands. But an Egyptian army marched on the holy city a few weeks later to challenge their claim. The Egyptians' defeat by the outnumbered Christians in August ended Muslim resistance to the Europeans for the time being, and five small Christian states were set up in the region under the rule of the leaders of the Crusade. July 15. On this date in history, in the year 1978, the 2,800-mile-long walk for Native American justice concludes in Washington, D.C. On July 15, 1978, the longest walk, a 2,800-mile trek for Native American justice that had started with several hundred marchers in California, ends in Washington, D.C., accompanied by thousands of supporters. The intent of the event was to call attention to issues affecting Native Americans, such as lack of jobs and housing, and legislation before Congress that could dramatically change their rights. The route of the marchers and their supporters took them past the White House. Some carried the flags of Indian nations. Native Americans camped on the Washington Monument grounds, while in the nation's capital, they held rallies and meetings at the Capitol, Supreme Court, and the White House. Native Americans of many different tribes were especially concerned about proposed legislation that would eliminate treaties and shut down federal programs for hospitals, schools, and housing projects. The proposed legislation also would eliminate Native American reservations and end hunting and fishing rights in areas outside of reservations. A March coordinator said the proposed legislation would destroy the American Indian way of life. We are the original of the people of this country, Native American Philip Deere, a March organizer, said at a rally. We are the original residents of the Western Hemisphere. We will pray for this confused society, Deere continued. We will pray for the FBI informers in our midst, for our oppressors in their offices. We will pray also. Actor Marlon Brando told the gathering that President Jimmy Carter should not criticize human rights policies of foreign nations while the U.S. government continues to oppress Native Americans. The original people of this country were swindled, were murdered like animals, he said. None of the bills affecting Native American rights passed in Congress. In 2008, another longest walk to advance Native American rights culminated in Washington. July 16. On this date in history in the year 1995, Amazon opens for business. On July 16, 1995, Amazon officially opens for business as an online bookseller. Within a month, the fledgling retailer had shipped books to all 50 U.S. states and to 45 countries. Founder Jeff Bezos' motto was, Get Big Fast, and Seattle-based Amazon eventually morphed into an e-commerce colossus, selling everything from groceries to furniture to live ladybugs and helping to revolutionize the way people shop. Bezos earned an undergraduate degree in computer science and electrical engineering from Princeton University in 1986, then worked in the financial services industry in New York City. In 1994, after realizing the commercial potential of the Internet and determining that books might sell well online, he moved to Washington State and founded Amazon. He initially dubbed the business Cadabra, as in Abracadabra, but after someone misheard the name as Cadaver, Bezos decided to call his startup Amazon, after the enormous river in South America. 
a moniker he believed would not box him into offering just one type of product or service. In the spring of 1995, Bezos invited a small group of friends and former colleagues to check out a beta version of Amazon's website, and the first ever order was placed on April 3rd of that year for a science book entitled Fluid Concepts and Creative Analogies. While Amazon.com went live to the general public in July 1995, the company boldly billed itself as Earth's biggest bookstore, although sales initially were drummed up solely by word of mouth and Bezos assisted with assembling orders and driving the packages to the post office. By the end of 1996, Amazon had racked up $15.7 million in revenues, and in 1997, Bezos took the company public with an initial public offering that raised $54 million. That same year, Bezos personally delivered his company's one millionth order to a customer in Japan who had purchased a Windows NT manual and a Princess Diana biography. In 1998, Amazon extended beyond books and started selling music CDs, and by the following year, it had added more product categories such as toys, electronics, and tools. By December 1999, Amazon had shipped 20 million items to 150 countries around the globe. That same month, Bezos was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. In 2000, the company introduced a service allowing individual sellers and other outside merchants to peddle their products alongside Amazon's own items. Meanwhile, Amazon continued to spend heavily on expansion and didn't post its first full-year profit until 2003. In 2007, Amazon debuted its Kindle e-reader. Four years later, the company announced it was selling more e-books than print books. Also in 2011, Amazon's tablet computer, the Kindle Fire, was released. Among a variety of other ventures, Amazon launched a cloud computing and video-on-demand services in 2006, a studio that develops movies and TV series in 2010, and an online marketplace for fine art in 2013, which has featured original works by artists including Claude Monet and Norman Rockwell. Additionally, Amazon has acquired a number of companies, including Zappos and Whole Foods. In 2015, Amazon surpassed Walmart as the world's most valuable retailer. Two decades after its founding and with Bezos still at the helm, Amazon's market value was $250 billion. In 2017, Bezos was named the richest man in the world. On July 5, 2021, Bezos stepped down as CEO of Amazon to focus on his aerospace company, Blue Origin. In recent years, the company has come under intense scrutiny for poor working conditions and exploitive practices at its fulfillment centers and warehouses. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for July 10 through July 16. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then, thanks for listening.